Slow Burn Media and Evergreen Podcast presents Who Killed, a podcast that provides a voice for the voiceless. We're joined now by Shasta County Sheriff Tom Basenko. Sheriff, thank you for joining us this morning. Pretty chilling description there from Sherry Papini's husband. Bruises all over her body, broken nose, her hair cut off, branded. Uh, do those details conform with what you know right now? Uh, yes, I was familiar with those details. We had not released them yet to the public. And, and he also says that she was actually thrown from the vehicle. There were some earlier reports that perhaps she had been dropped off. Was she indeed thrown from the vehicle? Uh, the information that we have received so far from our investigators that, that she was released, dropped off there. We did not have information that she was thrown from the vehicle. So you didn't know about the chain around her waist, a bag over her head? Uh, we did know about her restraints. And, and I know your investigators had the chance to speak with, with, with Ms. Papini yesterday. What more have you been able to learn about her ordeal? Uh, our investigators uh, did an interview yesterday with her, a follow-up interview from Thanksgiving Day. Uh, they spoke to her for several hours. And then in the late afternoon, early evening, they were uh, going over her interview and plan to interview her again today. And, and, and her, husband's, uh, her husband's statement also refers to online comments and activity. People questioning this, suggesting it may have been a hoax. You still have no reason at all to doubt her story? Absolutely none. So far, uh, we are still investigating. This is a kidnapping abduction, and everything that she is providing us thus far uh, is indicating that. Well, Lisa, Sherry Papini arrived here to federal court tight-lipped and did not answer any questions from reporters. Inside the courtroom, she did break down in tears as she read from a prepared statement, apologizing and accepting responsibility. Then the judge handed down his sentence, saying it was more than double what the prosecution recommended. Now, we know Sherry Papini orchestrated this entire hoax and where she said two Hispanic women held her captive the entire time she was with her ex-boyfriend. The judge had strong words for Papini today, who said the Hispanic community was living in fear because of her actions. The judge also brought up the money Papini took from the Victims' Compensation Board, the years of investigation, GoFundMes, other benefits, and thousands of dollars incurred by officers. For those reasons, and to deter others, the judge went well beyond sentencing recommendations from the prosecution and defense, saying both were insufficient. The judge then sentenced Sherry Papini to 18 months prison time, followed by 30 36 months supervised release and ordered her to pay restitution. Hello and welcome to episode 198 of Who Killed? I am your host, Bill Huffman, and this is a Slow Burn Media, Evergreen Podcasts, and Killer Podcast production. On this week's episode, I'm going to be taking a look at the Sherry Papini case, which has been in the news this week, as many of you know. But before I get into her case, I wanted to say congratulations to Adnan Syed for finally being released from prison after 20 plus years. This wouldn't have been possible without the podcast Serial, Undeclosed, hosted by Rabio Chaudhary, and the people behind the HBO documentary, The Case Against Adnan. I had the pleasure of meeting Rabia at CrimeCon in 2018, and she is definitely a go-getter and uh, wasn't going to stop until she achieved justice. So I have major kudos to give to all those guys and girls 
and women that were involved in that particular case as that case has been what really drove a lot of the people that now listen to true crime podcasts into the true crime podcast world. So it's kind of interesting how everything kind of goes full circle. So Serial did release a new episode this week. I believe Undisclosed did release a couple of the episodes related to the evidence that did get Adnan free. So again, big, big, big news in the world of true crime. And uh, hopefully justice will be served in this case. And it seems as a miscarriage of justice was hand, was the reason why he was in prison. And, you know, you got to share evidence. And when they don't do that, well, you know, cases can get uh, thrown out and vacated, such as this case. So we're going to go from great news about Adnan to terrible news uh, about Sherry Papini and her ridiculous Gone Girl type escapade. I will say this before we get too deep because this woman clearly has mental health issues, but I refuse to let that be the only factor that went into play when she decided to pull her little stunt. And I'll say this, you know I'm a big, big proponent fan of mental health uh, stability as well as, you know, treating your mental health well and getting proper therapy when it's needed. And in this case, I think it's clear that, uh, she's got a lot going on. And, um, you know, as we go through this little timeline and, uh, you know, we'll do some, uh, press conferences of, uh, the authorities and, uh, all that good stuff that we typically do here on Who Killed. But, uh, you know, back in 2016, it was early November, and basically Sherry Papini decided to go for a jog, and I believe it was November 2nd, and this was, again, 2016, and she didn't return home, and therefore there was a missing person uh, report issued by her husband and of course everybody always assumes that it's the husband that's involved and the thing about this case is it uh it really didn't have a lot of evidence you know from the get-go and she basically vanished and they found her airpods and her phone and that was that for 22 days and so According to ABC News, you know, a California woman went missing at the beginning of November, has been found safe after being released by her captor or captors this morning, according to the Shasta County Sheriff's Office. And Sherry Papini, 34, was reported missing again on November 2nd, 2016, after she went for a run and didn't return home. Now, she was last seen jogging along the Sunrise Drive in Reading. Now, a poster that was distributed to help the search effort detailed some of these uh, finer details. So, she had two young children and was described by her family as a quote-unquote supermom. So, quote, we are very ecstatic to report that Sherry Papini has been reported and located and reunited with her husband and family on Thanksgiving. Sheriff Tom Besenko said at a news conference, 
I'm happy to say that Sherry is now safe and that she has been treated at an area hospital outside of Shasta County for non-life-threatening injuries. Now, he did not specify the nature of her injuries. So, Basenko said that Papini uh, was released early in the morning by her captor or captors on a rural road in Yolo County, about 150 miles from her home. She had, quote, been bound by restraints, but was able to summon help from a motorist. Now, he did say that the investigation was still active and that authorities were looking for a dark-colored SUV with, quote, two Hispanic females armed with a handgun. Now, Sherry was interviewed by detectives, and again, the sheriff would go on to say that this was a new chapter of the investigation. And basically, you know, it's been really bizarre. So, you know, time went on, and people had a lot of questions. And it was interesting because the movie and the book Gone Girl had become quite a hit. And it was mm, pretty similar to the case that uh, we were talking about here with Sherry. So people began to be a little suspicious. I can 100% attest to saying this story is very shaky and it would really take everything with a grain of salt when it comes to this particular uh, case. Now, I wouldn't say that about most uh, people who claim to be abducted, but there were just so many things about this that just seemed weird. And so people started asking questions, you know, um, it just is a natural thing to do when you, <laughs> you just don't believe somebody. I mean, it, it's one thing to claim that you were abducted. It's another thing to have evidence of that claim. Yes, you had um, markings and restraints and a branding that we'll talk about. Uh, but again, you've taken race and you've added race into this. And now you're basically maligning, you know, Hispanic females as people begin looking for two Hispanic females that supposedly took you captive. So she told investigators that she was kidnapped by these two women during a jog on November 2nd. Now, her husband had said that she did endure extensive abuse. She had been starved, branded, as I mentioned. Now her nose was broken. Her long blonde hair had been cut off. Doesn't this really just freaking sound like Gone Girl? Now, of course, so did the media. And that's why they got it. They basically... <laughs> coined this the, the Gone Girl case, and and there's a good reason for it that we'll get to. And uh, Papini described one of her accused abductors as having long curly hair, thin eyebrows, and pierced ears. Well, there's a very, very straightforward uh, description there. And the other was older and straight black hair, but uh, gray and uh, thick eyebrows. Now, she said she spoke Spanish the most of the time which okay great but again there was never any motive or any arrests that uh, people uh, could figure out and uh, authorities basically declined to describe the investigative efforts in detail uh, when People Magazine was beginning to ask questions because there were questions to be asked 
And the sheriff's or the Shasta County Sheriff's Lieutenant Pat Cropeller said, quote, we work on this case every day. Now, again, they have no reason not to believe Pepini's account. So a detective assigned to her case full time. Now, according to People magazine, quote, he works on it constantly. He is in constant contact with the Papinis. Speculation has, you know, run rampant about what the possible motive behind the abduction could be. Was it sex trafficking? Was it random? And whatever the reason, at this point in time, they didn't know, Lieutenant Crapholler says he doesn't believe there is a cause for alarm for the public. Quote, I think the public should be vigilant, but I don't believe there is a public safety concern. He goes on to explain, this is not a common occurrence here. So, you know, when you get the sheriff that's uh, starting to question you or question your story, probably starting to feel like the walls are closing in a little bit. And so interesting stuff that is, you know, it's not all that interesting if you go and you dive too deep into it. But, um, you know, they did have, uh, People Magazine did discover some incidents that occurred, you know, a decade plus ago that really didn't have anything to do with the case. And, you know, basically... Everybody was analyzing everything. And the Shasta County Sheriff's Detective said in November that uh, before she was actually returned, that they traveled to Michigan and issued more than a dozen search warrants in the case. And that was according to actually the Sacramento Bee. So Papini and her family, you know, they haven't spoken or they didn't speak with the public, uh, you know, after she was found. And they basically said that they requested privacy for the time and, They said, quote, we would just appreciate our time to heal and privacy, her sister told the Sacramento Bee in March of that year. Now, Papini's husband told 2020 in December of that year that a recovery is, quote, not just a long road. It's something they're never going to forget. Quote, she literally lived through hell. Oh, what a man. What a poor guy. Uh, So Papini preserved, persevered in part by, you know, because I'm just going off of this one particular article, um, it's a pretty interesting one. And because it's just the fact that she is really screwing with a lot of people at this point. She's messing with her family or in-laws or parents, all that other stuff. And, I mean, you listen to these quotes from her husband, and it's just disgusting to think that, uh, you know, quote, she literally lived through hell. And then it goes on to say that uh, Papini persevered persevered in part by thinking of her children. Now her husband said, quote, she told me she took a a piece of cloth and rolled it up like it was her daughter, and she rocked it back and forth. She was so strong. That is ridiculous. I'm sorry, but come on, dude. Like, oh, talk about looking for some sympathy. Her statement would go on to say, Sherry Peppini and her family are the very recent victims of an extremely violent crime that has painfully and dramatically changed the course of their lives forever. It is our hope that the media will honor their privacy as they work through this difficult time. Yeah, so, you know, interesting. I mean, not interesting that she wants privacy because that's totally understandable if if this was a true legitimate story but 
you know, her family backed her up. I mean, they fired back at news reports um, after relatives had been called, you know, previously called law enforcement about her. And again, I mentioned that earlier. In a statement to ABC News, Papini's family called the Sacramento Bee, which originally reported the story on Thursday as shameful. Sherry, again, <laughs> I, I'm just going to read, I'm end up reading the same quote again because this is, uh, ridiculous, but it goes on to say it is a shameful thing that a media outlet would intentionally exploit Sherry and Keith and their young children's trauma for the sole purpose of clickbait and selling papers. Quote this newspaper's decision to aggressively seek out and publish unsubstantiated online activity and distort phone conversations from 16 years ago is victim blaming at its most egregious. The statement continues. It is our hope that the media will honor their privacy as they work through the difficult time. Now, there you go. I read that part again. But seriously, this is like, uh, wow, okay. The family's really pissed off, and they really believe that this woman was abduct abducted. And I guess at that point in time, there really wasn't much to, to doubt her, but... To be honest with you, you know, without much evidence, there really, uh, there really isn't a lot to go on. And again, um, you know, the fact that she would go um, from being uh, completely gone, like abducted, not a sign or trace, except for the uh, two things, the phone and the uh, earbuds. There really wasn't any other evidence. So you had pretty much nothing other than the public, which is, you know, we all love the public and ask for the public's help when we need certain things to be, you know, filled in as far as uh, where somebody was or what somebody could have been doing. But nobody had any idea what this woman had been doing. And again, this is a very quiet part of California. We're not talking about bustling Los Angeles. Uh, this isn't um, San Francisco in downtown, uh, you know, near Chinatown where everybody's running from one thing to the other. This is really pretty low-key, uh, high, I guess higher end. I mean, everything in California is that way, I guess, but it is what it is. And, uh, you know, the town of Redding, I mean, she was not, this isn't a big big place. So again, I think that's the reason why the sheriff came out and said that this is something the public does not have to worry about because these things do not occur very often. And again, at this point in time, no arrests had been made and there was no motive. So they would just basically continue to dig and dig and dig. And, you know, the sheriff would say, right now, my main concern is maintaining the integrity of the investigation. I am more and more concerned about getting the case solved. So after a while, things just stop making sense. So what happens? Well, the FBI doesn't really believe her. So they released an affidavit. And in the article that I am going to quote from, it starts with, For weeks, Sherry uh, Papini's face was everywhere. Photos of the petite blonde with 
big blue eyes and a wide smile. Please note, big blue eyes, blonde woman. We have that issue in our country as far as who we cover and who we don't. So just throwing it out there that, uh, you know, again, another reason why this was a national story, even though it happened in a very small town. Anyway, it is what it is, but it can be corrected as we go through time. Now, missing posters, they were dotted across the streets of Redding, California. And this is what felt like a, a great story when she was returned on Thanksgiving Day. You know, she was beat up, but it just was like, oh my gosh, she's back. Let's all just be very happy. But I mean, I know that working in the world of, uh, I was in television at the time, but, uh, yeah, I didn't believe any of this crap. I mean, she was just so out there and I had seen Gone Girl and I'm like, dude, this is the movie. And I know that you guys thought that too, because there's no way that you guys believed this story. I have all the faith in the world that you as a true crime uh, fan, a true crime listener knows better than to accept this type of wild accusation because this is something, this is next level. So it was so improbable that the FBI agents say that the entire thing was an elaborate fabrication. Now, this is what has landed Sherry in jail. So the story goes, on November 2nd, 2016, Keith returned from his work to find his mountain gate home empty. No kids, no wife. A quick check revealed his two children just hadn't been picked up from daycare, but running the Find My iPhone app for his wife's phone showed it was somewhere near Sunrise Drive, where Sherry had gone for the run earlier that day. Now he drove to the spot, and there, about two feet off the road, he found her phone and earbuds neatly left in the dirt. Hmm. The phone was playing their wedding song, Michael Buble's Everything. Gosh, this is just so bad. I feel so bad for Keith. This is just... Uh, unbelievably uh, sad thing. He thought the cell phone had been placed there, Now, which he described as weird. Now, of course, this was the only beginning of the weirdness, according to this article and to the investigators. As they dug into the 34-year-old's personal life, investigators discovered a string of oddities. Hmm. The affidavit says two men were found among her phone contacts, but Sherry Papini had listed them under women's names. One man allegedly traveled to meet up with Sherry in 2011, and the pair had, quote, continued to exchange flirtatious text messages throughout the years. The second man told investigators he met Papini at a Friday Night Live youth program around 2000, and the pair dated for some time after. Now, he claimed that Papini was attention-hungry and fabricated stories of being the victim of abuse from her family, father, and then him after the couple broke up. So, clearly this article is calling all these shots and pretty much nailing every one of them. Rumors of attention-seeking behavior dogged Papini in, in interview after interview. When the director of the Friday Night Live program spoke with detectives, they allegedly said, Papini was good at creating different realities for people so that they would see what she wanted them to see, which got her really good attention. Even friends admitted Papini would make up lies, particularly about being the victim of abuse, especially when she was a child. So three weeks after her disappearance on Thanksgiving Day and 
her sudden reappearance, you know, California Highway Patrol officers responded to Interstate 5 near Woodland at, you know, to find the cherry there and that her hair had been hacked off and she was bruised and battered and a chain was around her waist. She'd lost weight and, oh, you know, it's just really interesting. But in the affidavit, it recounts multiple interviews with Papini the details change in each one, but her general story was this. On the day of her disappearance, she'd gone for a jog. She noticed a dark-colored SUV with two, again, Hispanic women inside. And one woman had actually beckoned her over and appearing to need help with something. When Pepini got closer, she said one woman pulled a gun on her and then left her phone behind as evidence. Now, she said she did that. Now, she purposely did that so she could be traced. Now, you would think if she wanted to be traced, she would have kept the phone with her. But, you know, this story is what it is. And, uh, well, Sherry isn't the brightest bulb in the chandelier, as we all have discovered. And, you know, despite the terror of the abduction, she told the FBI agents that she slept most of the drive and couldn't figure out where she was taken. Now, she allegedly told investigators she did not remember getting out of the vehicle. The first thing she remembered was waking up in a room. She had zip ties around her wrists, was no longer in the clothes she had been jogging in. Now, okay, so you're in this investigation uh, interview, and this is your story. So... You know, lying to the FBI, it's a crime. So, interesting that she continues on with this. And she says that she was not drugged. And although at one point she did feel like she was being tased. Well, we'll just take that one and whatever. (laughs) We know it's, she probably just tased herself. So, during her captivity, she said that the two women mostly spoke Spanish and played constantly loud music from a speaker. Now, this sounds a lot like uh, some sort of torture scene from Zero Dark Thirty. But again, hey, she's the creator of her own world, and uh, she was in for a doozy on this one. And uh, she also claimed that any time she made noise, her captors would come running into her room. Now... They were sell, They did tell her that they were going to sell her, and she was going to be sold to a cop. Okay. Now, for reasons unknown, after three weeks, the younger of the two abductors ordered her back into the SUV and drove her to Woodland, where she was found by good Samaritans. Now, while she recovered in the hospital, the Shasta County Sheriff's Office sent her clothing to the lab for DNA testing. Now, it was in 2019... I don't know why this took so long because, as you know, it doesn't take that long to discover DNA. But in 2019, a DNA profile of an unknown male was discovered on her clothing. So it was submitted for familial testing. Now, we all know what that is, and they did find a match. And this led to, drumroll please, An ex-boyfriend! Yes, and he agreed to a police interview. He immediately admitted that uh, he helped Sherry run away from the... Run away, and, (laughs) you know, if you lost your uh, ex that quickly, that's... uh, Game's over. You're, you're, You're up. So, 
According to the affidavit, the ex-boyfriend who had known Sherry since they were teenagers said that she had contacted him, quote, out of the blue and that claimed, again, very Gone Girl-like, that her husband was beating and raping her and trying, and he was, she was trying to escape. The ex-boyfriend allegedly told investigators he drove from his residence in Southern California. This was in, this was on the day that she disappeared, but this is Costa Mesa, so like we're talking a pretty good drive from uh, Redding, California. Now they met up while she was on her morning jog, and now he did admit that she slept most of the drive, but again, she wasn't being kidnapped because this had been set up. So in the weeks that followed, the ex had told investigators that Sherry had mostly stayed in his apartment, eating very little, cutting her own hair, and started hurting herself. And she even wanted him to brand her with some sort of tool. So that's kind of crazy. And then the boyfriend said that Sherry wanted to be dropped back off in Woodland or near Reading or whatever. And cell phone records... <laughs> Guys, if you're going to do this, do this right. Cell phone records corroborated his retelling of events, and the pair, the pair used prepaid phones throughout to communicate, according to the affidavit. <laughs> I mean, I just don't know what to say other than uh, I shouldn't be laughing because there are real victims out there in this world, but this woman is not one of them, and it's a crime. Yes, it is a crime that she did what she did. And, you know, it's so interesting to think that, again, the blonde hair, blue eyes, pretty blonde syndrome that we all possess here in the United States of America <sighs> just begs the question why we cover that, any of that stuff until we know more. But I don't know. This was, uh, they talked, she talked about clickbait. This was clickbait. I mean... We, as a society, and the media, mostly the media, is to blame for the fact that, yeah, um, pretty women are the only women they like to cover when it comes to missing <clears throat> persons and uh, disappearances because, or rapes, murders, anything like that. It's just a matter of, I mean, it's a facts. Look at the facts. We can all... Just look at numbers and see where things really lie. And yeah, there are races that don't get nearly uh, the resolution that other races get. So, you know, just something to keep in mind as you uh, continue to listen to true crime and true crime shows. So it's pretty interesting to think that, uh, um, you know, Sherry's case was out there for so long uh, they, I mean, they did have a GoFundMe account. Uh, now, they used uh, some of that fun, that GoFundMe account to pay off their credit card bills and personal expenses. And then they went and actually applied for uh, some victim compensation and actually received $30,000 for that. So, again, a crime. Um, now, this actually helped pay for uh, quote-unquote therapy sessions, but it also did pay for the blinds in her home. Now, again, the family has vehemently denied the allegations and issued a statement through a publicist. Quote, we love Sherry and are appalled by the way in which law enforcement ambushed her Thursday afternoon in a dramatic and unnecessary manner in front of her children, the family said. 
Papini is currently in custody at the Sacramento County Main Jail, awaiting her next court date. So, I mentioned earlier that Redding is a pretty tiny area. Now, it, it is uh, near the Bay Area, so uh, when this case did hit the national headlines, of course, you had television crews from the Bay Area, Southern California, and New York doing live feeds from in front of the Shasta County Sheriff's Office. And again, they interviewed everybody. And at this point in time, when they were talking about the media descending on Reading, they still believed, actually, I mean, yeah, they completely believed that um, she was abducted. And it's uh, it's just kind of crazy. I mean, the Daily Mail, everybody's favorite rag, uh, maybe not because it, it is rag and yeah, anyway. Uh, it's been interesting because you know, they've basically, they were hanging out in Reading, uh, investigating the case, and, um, you know, it's just one of those things that uh, you really wonder how they were so, well, I guess, it, I guess this is the problem with crying wolf. You don't know. So if you cry wolf too often, as we all know, the boy who cried wolf story, as every child Growing up has heard it a million times. The more you do it, the less people listen. And this goes for Sherry doing this to victims. I mean, basically what she's done is she's made everybody now question victims because, okay, well, this lady has an incredible story and it's almost so incredible it doesn't sound true. And then you find out that it's not true. Well, how do you feel about other stories when shit just doesn't line up and it is a real disservice what this woman did to victims of sexual crimes uh, anything attacks uh, domestic violence you have degraded that trust by your actions and you per perpetuated this freaking myth for years like you went on for years talking about how you were abducted. And, you know, this is one thing to say and admit it. I mean, I'm, everybody remembers The Runaway Bride, I think, from 2005. That was another story of somebody who didn't want to be in the situation they were in, so they, I don't know, pretended to be abducted. Look into it if you want. It's not as interesting as it sounds. It's uh, more like a rom-com slash uh, silly idea, this is other case, Sherry's case, is more um, malice, or there's more malice behind it. I mean, this was definitely done with the purpose of gaining sympathy for herself. I mean, you don't do these kind of things unless you are, <laughs> one, mentally ill, and two, seeking straight-up... Um, Attention, which again is just super narcissistic, and she is very um, full of herself. So it's almost ridiculous to think that she wouldn't one day be caught for her brazenness and her just straight up ridiculous story. And again, you 
you take these reports from her husband and it is a missing persons report. He had no idea. He wasn't involved, but guess what? You know, like people probably thought he did it because that's what everybody thinks. So think about the suspicion that he was under for three weeks and the amount of investigating that went into that. So it's really kind of crazy that the case even went on for as long as it did. Now, luckily, um, you know, she has been indicted and she was actually just sentenced this week, luckily, this week, to 18 months in prison. Now, she also has to pay a $300,000 fine. Now, this fine is related to the amount of money that went into the search and the amount of money that was uh, donated through the GoFundMe as well as the $30,000 from the Victims' Compensation Fund from California. Now, the prosecutor in the case actually only asked for eight months, so it was kind of a surprise when the judge sentenced her to 18 months. But again, uh, one of the things that is just super interesting is that they didn't really think this through. Like the DNA, you guys had DNA, you had phones. I mean, your, 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 uh, person that you escaped with bailed on you the second he was taken into questioning. So what are you thinking? Like you didn't play this one out. Your husband divorced you. Um, and now you're going to prison for 18 months. Now, that will also be followed by, luckily, 36 more months of supervised release. Now, I've mentioned it at the beginning of the show. I do hope that it is something in her, um, you know, sentencing that she is forced to undergo some sort of therapy because it really is clear that she needs help. And it's not to say that she can't be redeemed. She's just probably never going to be trusted by anybody ever again. <laughs> and so that's a big road to hoe. And, uh, you know, I'm just one of those people that aren't going to give you a lot of leeway after you uh, escape for three weeks and make up a bunch of crap and then blame uh, a whole race on it and you know people start ugh, just everything about you is just disturbing and so uh, I think you got what you deserved I'm sorry to say um, you know it is what it is I mean you did perpetuate your false claims for years uh, you did so without any regard for the harm that you caused others uh, I, I mean seriously I mean there was investigators that devoted resources that they didn't really have. And that was for four years. Now it took that long to learn the truth, but really I think if they would have taken the time and really analyzed some of her claims and gotten some more in interviews with her, this case probably would have been solved sooner rather than later. Again, I didn't buy it from the beginning. The investigators had to, be questioner from the beginning too so why it took so long to get this dna processed in 2019 and the fact that she's just now been sentenced to prison in 2022 it's that's six freaking years so um 
it's it's kind of a, a weird thing that it took so long. But again, Adnan's case is another case of uh, the wheels of justice are very slow. And uh, even if you think uh, you know what happened, you may have to wait a while. And again, patience is a virtue in a lot of these things. But in Sherry's case, I feel more terrible for her husband every interview I read with him. Uh, he was totally uh, taken to the Woodhouse uh, by claiming that she was abused. And it's just not fair. And I'm glad that he didn't stick by her. I'm shocked that he stuck by her for as long as he did. But if he really did love her and did believe her, then it is what it is. So I'm not going to get on him about that because he now has to deal with the fact that he was married to an insane person for how many years and put his life through hell in the last five so or six. And again, this was uh, something that should have been solved a lot earlier, but... Um, you know, it's better late than never, in my opinion. And just so we can kind of figure out exactly, um, what this was all about, I want to just run down a quick timeline of what, uh, what the case involved, because it really kind of started and went, uh, started off like gangbusters, of course, you know, blonde hair, blue eyes, uh, national media jumps all over it. And then it becomes, okay, well, basically prove yourself. And so, uh, that's what kind of, I guess, took so long. She probably just, um, you know, the proper word I'm looking for is, uh, delayed her interviews as much as possible but you know eventually she was going to be you know facing her comeuppance and uh according to the associated press um the timeline goes a little bit like this and it was on november 2nd 2016 that she was reported missing that going that was the day that she went running now, no news occurred between the 2nd and the 24th. And now, this is when a driver finds uh, Sherry on the side of a rural road where she is bound, injured, and has a brand on her right shoulder. Now, this was according to the Department of Justice press release. So, Papini claimed that she had been forced into an SUV, as we know, by two Hispanic women. Now, August 2020, officials find that DNA collected from Papini's clothes matched her ex-boyfriends. Now, he admits to helping her stage the abduction so they could run away together because she claimed, as I mentioned before, that her husband was abusing her. Now, he tells officials that she stayed with him, but she mostly uh, stayed in her room by herself and he slept on the couch and that uh, eventually she was missing her children and wanted to go home. Now, it took two more years before... Sherry was arrested, and that was March 3rd, 2022. April 18th of 2022, Sherry officially pleads guilty. Then April 20th, everybody's favorite day, Sherry's husband Keith 
files for divorce. And then on September 19, 2022, just a few days ago, Sherry is sentenced to 18 months in prison. And as I've said throughout this case and this episode, people like this woman make it very difficult for investigators and public to believe people who are telling the truth. I'm a big proponent of mental health, as I've mentioned many, many times, and I really do hope she gets a great deal of therapy. I'm just disappointed that she had to go and throw a whole race of women and uh, just a whole race in general under the bus for something that, uh, again, didn't happen. You know, I think the the sentence does does fit the crime in this case. And again, hopefully she'll understand one day uh, the amount of people that she hurt. And it's just, it's just a sad case of someone seeking attention and not having all of her um, marbles. And that's not to say that uh, there's, that's an excuse at all. There's no excuse for this. This was a depletion of resources you caused heart hurt and a heartache for your whole family. Uh, the community searched for you. They made posters for you. Uh, there were so many things that you did that basically were all self-aggrandizing uh, sympathy. I guess it, it really is all you were looking for. Maybe I mean, is that all it is? Is it does it royal really boil down to that? And if it does, then, ah, you know, get the help you need while you're in prison because you're going to need it when you get out. And um, I'm just uh, disappointed that uh, you actually got away with this for so long when it was so clear that you were lying through your teeth. So uh, enjoy prison and uh, thanks for uh, making everybody's lives uh, really screwed up for a long time. And uh, on that particular note, that is going to conclude this week's episode of Who Killed? And you guys, as always, thank you so much for listening. You know I drop new episodes every Friday. If you want to help support the show, you can do so via Venmo with my username at bill-huffman-3. And if you'd like to know what is coming down the pipeline, please follow me on Twitter at billhuffman3. Thank you again so much for listening. And thank you to Evergreen Podcasts and Killer Podcasts. And as always, stay safe. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife, Maggie, and son, Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. Hello, everyone. My name is Tom Kearns, and I host the Anglo-Saxon England podcast, where I cover the history and culture of England from the departure of the Romans in the 5th century to the Norman Conquest in 1066. So far, we've surveyed the collapse of Roman rule in Britain, the migration of the Anglo-Saxons, and the history of Northumbria from its beginnings in the mists of legend to its destruction at the hands of Viking raiders in the 9th century. I hope you'll come and give it a go.